Hi everybody, welcome to a new episode of the Womenhood and International Relations podcast. I'm your host, Natalia Bonilla, and for today's episode, we will be addressing Feminist Foreign Policy 2.0, Have We Reached a New Era? This episode will be divided in two parts. The first part will be an exploration on the recent announcement of Germany's Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock on the shaping of a feminist foreign policy. In this section, we will discuss the different speeches, um, proposals, as well as manifestos from think tanks and organizations, as well as the foreign ministry in regards to this model. Um, we are then going to proceed to the second section, will be on a commentary, not only in regards to everything that we are going to cover on the first part, but also on the several reports released recently calling for a revision of feminist foreign policy frameworks and the proposal of feminist foreign policy 2.0 known as fair foreign policy. As you can already see, this could lead to a very controversial and lengthy conversation, but today we are going to focus on key aspects and insights in regards to these proposals. I invite you, if you want to continue forward, you know, engaging in conversations to join our social media networks. We are currently on Instagram, on Twitter, on Telegram, and if you want to join our community in Patreon, there we are hosting monthly gatherings where we discuss everything related to womanhood and international relations and um, support one another in our different walks of life. So I'm going to list down below on the description box the links for our social media networks as well as our Patreon community and also I will list down below the recommended articles as well as videos and webinars connected to this um, issue. I invite you all to do your own research in regards to this topic and send any recommendations for, you know, other articles or videos or webinars or, you know, experts that you feel like we could interview for upcoming episodes. Please do let us know. And if you're new to the podcast, I invite you to check the different episodes we have recorded on FFP models particularly the cases of Mexico, Spain, and the proposals and debates and conversations taking place in India and Australia. We also have conducted interviews with experts in some of these countries, so I will list them down below in the description box once again. I also want to invite you, if you're into women leaders case studies, um, to join our next live streams on YouTube. We are going to launch uh, two new live streams on the leadership lessons of Michelle Bachelet, the former uh, Chilean president and former executive director of UN Women and former high commissioner of the United Nations Office for Human Rights. That's going to be on October 11th, 2022 at 6 p.m. Eastern time on my YouTube channel. I will list down below the description box the link to join live and then on October 18th we are going to have the leadership lessons webinar of Sana Marin the Prime Minister of Finland 
once again at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And don't worry if you cannot tune in on the same hour. Uh, we are going to leave it uh, recorded for you to check it out afterwards. And um, this is part of the playlist that we have launched in the couple of months ago on women leaders uh, around the world. And I am very excited to continue these projects for these profiles of women leaders can actually offer some guides in terms of how to overcome certain challenges individually or collectively. And political participation of women matters so much nowadays and our voices are so, so powerful that I'm very excited to continue this road of profiling with you and um, making it perhaps like a monthly or weekly gathering where we continue learning and unlearning and weaving and supporting one another in a, um, different platforms. So yes, that's it for the announcements. Let's begin with part first, first part of today's episode. What is the feminist foreign policy announcement of Germany? Um, what do we know so far? What are the key aspects and priorities? Let's begin. On September 12, 2022, the foreign minister Annalena Baerbock and delivered a speech at the Conference on Shaping Feminist Foreign Policy in Berlin, where she discussed the willingness of Germany to pursue a feminist foreign policy model that mirrored, in a way, the Swedish uh, feminist foreign policy model released in 2014, the first model that we know so far. And basically, she acknowledged that they wanted to mainstream feminist foreign policy focusing on the three R's proposed by um, the government of Sweden that were connected to women and girls' rights, resources, and representation. But adding an X bonus that Germany considered to be extremely important in this era, which is to add the D for diversity. According to Baerbock, and I quote, according to Baerbock, and I open quote, feminist foreign policy permeates all spheres of our governments. Feminist foreign policy is a foreign policy that focuses on the entire spectrum of diversity, diversity that we are also going to anchor in our new national security strategy. Feminist foreign policy implements what we defined years ago as human security, it puts the spotlight on people, regardless of their background, gender, belief, or who they love. If we focus particularly on women and marginalized groups, it makes our security policy more comprehensive. It makes it and us stronger. Closing quote. The remarks of Baerbock, which is considered the first female foreign minister of Germany, highlights several conflicts nowadays that are connected to the new vision of Germany moving forward in the international relations arena, including the conflicts in Ukraine, Afghanistan, and Chad. Baerbock explains that out of the three R's, it is the resources one that is of extreme importance for her and her administration. And she wants to underscore that all the injustice that comes from the distribution of resources needs to be, you know, solved. And moving forward, knowing where the funding stems from and where is it going and which groups of people are being impacted by the funding and receiving 
are being impacted by receiving the funding and the accountability that comes with it, you know, can actually make a huge difference in the lives of women and girls. And she underscores, and I open quote here, for all of us, it is clear that we do not see women and girls as victims, but as part of the solution. As decisive actors when it comes to negotiating peace agreements or better protecting their country from climate damage. That is why it is important that this angle is represented not just in groups negotiating peace, but also when it comes to adaptation, loss and damage, as well as climate funding. Because the participation that implements solutions happens on the ground, in villages, in businesses, perhaps in the fields and in communities, in Chad, where we are helping women serve as mediators in conflicts between farmers and herders. In Iraq, where we are promoting the participation of women in conflict prevention as one of the largest donors to the Women's Peace and Humanitarian Fund. Or here in Germany. After all, feminist foreign policy starts here, starts here at home. Closing quote. It is very evident that Baerbock wants to focus on an alignment between domestic and foreign policies, something that was not persistent in some of the FFP models that we have seen so far. At this point, it is important to acknowledge that the government of Germany has not released a full report of what the new FFP model will entail or focus on. These have been mostly announcements so far and it's probable that in the future, in the near future, we will have like a full document where we can, you know, explore the different areas where Germany will pursue this model. If you're seeking some guidelines on the priority areas, I invite you to check the different webinars of the Conference on Shaping a Feminist Foreign Policy that took place in Berlin. I'm gonna list them down below in the description box, as well as the Center for Feminist Foreign Policy's Manifesto for Feminist Foreign Policy in Germany. Um, this is a full document, a very comprehensive document um, that features key areas and priorities as well as, you know, some risks that Germany's government, you know, could face by pursuing FFPs or, you know, not aligning some areas, specifically defense and security, to um, what feminist perspectives entail. Um, I'm going to list down below that report for you to download it and read it, you know, on your own spare time. And keep in mind that the Center for Feminist Foreign Policy has offered consultations for Germany's foreign ministry in the shaping of, you know, this model. So um, the organization itself is connected to, you know, what the government is, you know, pursuing. So they, this guideline, you know, provides some answers while the official official statements, you know, may take, um, you know, longer to be released. I'm going to address that document now. The document is 80 pages long and it's called Make Feminist Foreign Policy Feminist, a Feminist Foreign Policy Manifesto for Germany. And it covers key priority areas as well as the status quo of Germany in each one of them, which I found incredibly interesting because I'm not from Germany. So, you know, looking from afar, you know, it brings to light, okay, so how is this topic connected to, 
you know, the domestic and, uh, you know, the history of foreign policy in Germany. So the document covers those areas. So if you're interested, once again, I invite you to read it. There are nine key priority areas that the document covers that include feminist approaches to peace and security, human rights and the rule of law, demilitarization, disarmament and arms export control, climate justice, development cooperation, asylum and migration, health, trade and international investment, decolonizing foreign policy, countering the anti-gender movement and the women peace and security agenda. And it also proposes several structural changes that need to happen in order for all these key policy areas to flourish in a way. Um, those include communication, participation and leadership, and cooperation with feminist civil with feminist civil society. The manifesto also provides several principles that the Center for Feminist Foreign Policy pursues, you know, to look for a truly transformative feminist foreign policy. And those include that an FFP must be based on a comprehensive understanding of gender and that reducing this conversation of gender to only men and women could make these frameworks overlook the complexities of gender as a structural power relation, according to Cohen, um, which is cited and quoted here. They also say they also share they also share the principles that a feminist foreign policy must be intersectional. It needs to be anti-racist and critical of the influence of white supremacy in the field of foreign policy. It needs to be coherent as well in its approach, grounded in a domestic policy that exercises the same values within the country's own borders as it does outside. The FFPs also need to be human rights based and informed by feminist civil society and wider social movements, recognizing that feminist civil society has historically been the main driver of progress for human rights, in particular for minority rights. That it needs to be anti-militaristic, prioritizing the pursuit of a feminist peace and security uh, over the expansion and expression of military power prioritizing cooperation over domination in bilateral relations as well as in a multilateral fora, according to the document. The FFPs, lastly, should be climate justice-focused, acknowledging that a justice-focused response to the climate emergency is crucial for a livable future for humanity. And lastly, but not least, it should be transparent and accountable. Um, it has roots in precise it has roots in precise measurable objectives making it possible for civil society and those tasked with implementation to understand exactly what the state hopes to accomplish with its foreign policy strategy in what time frame and by what means they quote here the International um, Center for Research on Women 2020 um, document once again listed down below on the description box 
Okay, so we have the announcement, we have some guidelines on priority areas and possible principles and conversations and debates on the terminology and the definition of feminist foreign policy. But what has been the reception, the feedback to the announcement of an FFP in Germany? I want to bring to light two conversations, particularly to this episode. Of course, there are many more, but there are two that I want to um, bring here and then open the section of the commentary to explore with you some questions. There's an article by Amrita Narlikar. There's an article by Amrita Narlikar called German Feminist Foreign Policy, an Inside-Outside Perspective. I want, I'm going to list down below in the description box the link to this article because it basically uncovers some dimensions that, you know, the 3R plus D formula sounds good on paper, but, you know, may continue reproducing inequalities. And um, according to Narli Carr, open quote, the official answer to such a critique is the 3R plus D formula. The German feminist foreign policy is supposed to extend to marginalized groups and enhance diversity. But the problem with a feminist foreign policy is that it marginalizes, through its very name, all the other already marginalized voices of other names, active also in German academia and policy, but alas, often made invisible. And which could, in fact, greatly enrich the German policy-making space. Intersectionality is only a part of a much bigger problem. Names matter. Frames matter. Narratives matter. Reducing inclusiveness to feminism is an important and counterproductive signal to be sending, both internally and externally. If the FFO is serious about the plus D, part of the formula and intends to go beyond tokenism. At first, corrective step will be to rename the policy, for instance, perhaps as an inclusive foreign policy, and with explicit follow-through to reach out to diverse groups. Second, having a growing list of groups and categories and interactions among them even though an improvement on the current perspective would not be the answer. Instead a, gen instead, a genuine openness to hear diverse voices with diverse set of qualifications, some of which go against the mainstream and the Berlin bubble, would be needed. But with the good intentions that probably underpin the Feminist Foreign Policy Initiative, the FFO can go further than that. Closing quote. The FFO refers to Germany's Federal Foreign Office. Okay. Um, this article I find int interesting that the different critiques it brings, not only in terms of the proposal of the model, but also the way that academia and think tank researchers and lobbyists and policymakers are, you know, crafting this proposal 
perhaps a bit detached of the realities on the ground. And um, I want to bring it over once again to you and for the different conversations that we will have on social media because I don't hold the answers to everything and I'm not from Germany. But I find it interesting that this is a key aspect that Baerbock in her speech actually talked about, you know, like she acknowledged on September 12th in this speech that, you know, the, the reality of the ground needs to be connected to what's happening in policymaking spheres. And if you want to dig deeper on the different meanings of feminism and the debates and critiques, there's another article by Claudia Silla, which was published in the German Institute for International and Security Affairs called Feminist Foreign Policy, the Core Concepts components and controversies. I find this article very good and invite you to, you know, check it out because it talks about the different constructions of feminism and how states, you know, may have different definitions and, you know, what are the main criticisms and criteria for defining diversity, defining intersectionality, defining justice and feminism itself. And before we go to the second part of today's episode, I wanted to bring to light this new article released by Erlani Abdul Rahman and Jesse Bomb um, called Feminist Foreign Policy Needs an Upgrade. And this is a very, very intriguing read. I look forward to see if one of the authors will grant me an interview for an upcoming episode because they bring forward some arguments that at this point of the conversation may seem very revolutionary and, you know, may not gain a lot of sympathy from, you know, scholars and experts and researchers on feminist foreign policy because, you know, they will be providing Um, another term that could conflict with, you know, feminist values or feminist approaches. But I want to bring it here just for a good opening to our commentary section because what they provide in this article are some insights that are not so far-fetched from the current controversies and debates that are going on between FFP scholars and experts and researchers and policymakers, but they also provide answers and a new set of solutions that, you know, are steering away from feminist values or do they? You know, that's a good question. Are they so far-fetched from feminism? And um, what do they offer? Um, they they have two articles. They have the long version of uh, Feminist Foreign Policy Needs an Upgrade and they have the uh, shorter version. I'm going to list them down below in the description box. And in this article, they stress the importance of having an agreed definition of feminist foreign policy. You know, the lack of consensus on a definition of the framework and the lack of no cross-country comparison of its effect or its implementation is a matter that, you know, across the board, if you are following FFPs or if you're working on FFPs, you may know that that's, <laughs> that's a given. That's not a novelty. We already know that's a big problem. Um, there's different understandings of feminist foreign policies that have created already frictions between governments and civil society organizations. And to this point, and they focus on four flaws of feminist foreign policy models. The first one is that feminism as a term is polarizing. 
The second one is that feminist foreign policy does not explicitly account for intersectionality, making it ineffective for issues with multiple dimensions or power differentials. They make the case that the Swedish uh, feminist foreign policy model um, overly focused on women and girls, but they may have failed to capture the complexities of race, religion and age. Um, and they say that Mexico and Spain's uh, FFP models are explicitly focused on intersectionality. The third flaw, according to the authors, is that feminist foreign policy is specifically concerned with an outward looking with an outward looking mandate and does not address domestic policies, leaving implementing governments open to accusations of hypocrisy and policy incoherence. And the fourth point that they bring is that FFP debates sometimes oversimplify militaristic versus feminist or weapons versus peace into false binaries. According to Raman and Bum, military capacity building, weapons stockpiling and other acts of deterrence or even self-defense have been conflated with aggressive dominance. So what are the solutions to these flaws? They propose to change the first F from feminist to fair, fair foreign policy, which according to them could be considered a more inclusive concept that could resolve those four weakness identified um, previously. Fairness, according to Raman and Bum, could inform foreign policy to challenge the gender binaries inherent in post-Westphalian diplomacy, the masculine state as the benchmark, and the patriarchal association of masculinity with universality and objectivity. Um, they propose that the use of the term fair, fairness, could make space for gender diversity and could be untainted, the term, by colonial and imperial links to the term feminist. You know, feminist, according to them, is a term that is tainted by colonial and imperial um, links. Fairness as a term also permits self-defense. And they put as an example the supporting decisions by Finland and Sweden to join NATO. What are the five principles that a fair foreign policy, or as they use the hashtag FFP 2.0, could entail? The five principles, once again, according to Raman and Bum, are FFPs should be positioned within a human rights framework, it should be intersectional and inclusive, should be transformative, meaning to disrupt power inequities and redress historical injustice. All stakeholders must have agency and be meaningfully engaged with substantive representation and context is essential to avoid universality.
So those are the five principles that they provide. Um, let us know what you think about, you know, this proposal. Do you think it's very weird or is it something that resonates with what you're already seeing and, you know, could be the future of, you know, foreign policies moving forward in a more inclusive and more, more fair and just world um, amidst all these uh, current challenges that we are facing in humanity? Um, please do let us know on social media as well as in our different conversations in our Patreon community. And if you have any other recommendations of articles that are proposing to change the F of feminism to something else, um, let us know. And um, I look forward to, to reading and learning and, and, and sharing with you some comments about it. With that in mind, let's open the second section of today's episode, which is the commentary. Woo! So there are five topics that I want to share with you today. The first one has to do with the speech itself of Baerbock and the announcement of the pursuit of a feminist foreign policy or the shaping of a feminist foreign policy for Germany. The speech itself um, is a bit troublesome uh, for, you know, perhaps scholars or researchers or activists that do not live in the Euro-American I, I dare to say the Eurocentric sphere of power. I do not dare to say American or even you know Canada because there are um, some concerns in the language use that you know may pose a challenge. One of those is this conversation that Baerbock brings in terms of pursuing or following the trend of Sweden. You know, like considering that the most comprehensive uh, feminist foreign policy model up to date is the one that covers the four areas of foreign policy. So that's a given up to this date. And the conversation on joining the train, you know, brings to mind this imaginary of European states bonding together and kind of mirroring each other in terms of foreign policy. And I wouldn't find this troublesome if it wasn't because of the effects of the Ukraine-Russia conflict and, you know, the different changes that the Eurocentric sphere of power is experiencing, not only in terms of political and economic means, but also in terms of NATO and militaristic national identity and even ideologies. There's a divide broadening in terms of the Western and the non-Western way of engaging in diplomacy or building international relations that is shifting due to this specific conflict that began this year. And I wonder if this specific announcement of the new administration of Germany, because, you know, we need to keep in mind that, you know, this government, the current government of Germany was elected in 2021. So, you know, they come uh, and started working two or three months prior to the Ukraine-Russia conflict and got to form and solidify their stance in part because of this crisis. In part, I'm not saying it's the whole issue that they are focusing on, no. But I wonder this point, um, because what would a Germany's feminist foreign policy look like have the Ukraine-Russia conflict not sparked? Would it have followed suit Sweden's um, perception of model, which in a way is 
a safe bet, you know, is uh, something that goes with the flow of the train of thought of, you know, other mm, like-minded states in the European um, landscape. But I wonder, you know, would it have been different? Which leads me to the second point. And this has more to do with the examples and the narratives and the framing of the examples used in a bird box speech. Um, I wonder if I bring to light the possibility that past imperial powers that are currently pursuing feminist foreign policy models are, in a way, are reinforcing the white savior complex or the white superiority or the Western superiority over non-Western, non-white, non-similar states, populations, minority groups in other parts of the world. Yes, I know that's a very heavy topic, so I'm bringing it as a possibility to explore because once again, I do not hold the truth on anything. But what I found reading Bird Box's speech is the use of examples and the language used in terms of those examples, um, you know, reinforces these narratives that white men or white male soldiers that come from Germany are the ones seeking the protection of, you know, vulnerable women and girls and, you know, trying to bring justice to them, you know, like this type of um, imaginaries that... Um, get reinforced throughout the speech in the case of Ukraine, in the case of Afghanistan, and in the case of Mali and Chad, which Bearbox um, talks about in the speech, um, you know, brings to light this possibility, this hypothesis. This could also lead to a new set of questions in regards to countries that were past imperial powers, you know, like Germany, like Sweden, like the UK, like Spain, you know, these are countries that are considering or are, have already launched a feminist foreign policy models. And it's interesting to see how are they dealing with the white savior complex? How are they dealing with their imperialistic way of looking at the world? And if they are using FFP models, because they're trendy or because, you know, it's gaining momentum, etc. Which, hey, I understand, you know, feminist movements, feminist activists, feminist organizations are, you know, trying to make the best out of this moment that, you know, the FFP models are gaining momentum. I do understand that. But I also worry, you know, because there are dynamics that have not been healed. There are ways of thinking about the world that come from these colonial powers or past colonial powers or soft power colonial powers that are still today, you know, trying to influence and, you know, dominate culturally or economically or, you know, diplomatically or whatever it is that you want to use the term of, you know, other countries, other populations, other um, places. That's still going on. That's not being healed. And um, 
I, I do get that in the manifesto of the Center for Feminist Foreign Policy, the 2021 manifesto on on and the key priority areas that they um, are providing and offering to Germany, you know, as guidelines, um, they do talk and address the need for decolonization of foreign policy. Um, but that's still a very new concept and... Um, you know, engaging states to talk not only about feminism, but also to talk about decolonization and reparations and justice and climate justice, cli uh, racial justice, etc., is kind of diluting the message, which is my third comment today. You know, there's this sense of overwhelming by including all these social causes, political, economic, um, structural changes, racial um, topics, kind of hammering all these models to pursue every social issue and try to fix them all at once, kind of dilutes the purpose of having a feminist foreign policy and can actually lead to more distraction and the model itself not being implemented in a very efficient way. In the Spanish language, um, we have this mantra, which is el que mucho abarca poco aprieta. I don't know if that's happening here, but it looks like it. <laughs> it looks like it, which is, you know, trying to broaden so much the spectrum of what a feminist foreign policy model should be, should be, and must be, if you want to use that word, must be, can actually provide a little stronghold. So you have all these issues and you want to fix them all, and a feminist foreign policy should do so. But in the end, are they feminist? And I do want to highlight here that I recognize and acknowledge that there are many feminist approaches to different subjects of study, not only racial relations, not only, you know, human security or women, peace and security, but also terms of sociology and religion and more. Which brings me to my fourth point. Can states with a feminist foreign policy fix all these issues that not necessarily stem from states' behavior abroad and domestically while pursuing feminist approaches and feminist perspectives. This is a very fine line because state feminism is not what is being at stake here. And most feminists that I know of that are activists and researchers on this field do not agree that states can be feminist. But if they um, consider themselves to be, is there a universal way that states can relate to one another in a feminist way? This is a complex topic because this question kind of brings answer to why is it difficult to um, why is it difficult to have one particular definition of feminist foreign policy that every state agrees upon? And it also, 
you know, brings into question the social and political dynamics that feminist movements in different parts of the world face. The controversy that not all the mainstream feminist perspectives are agreed upon by people, human beings, women or not, that adhere to different types of feminism. The causes and fights of post-colonial feminists, of black feminists, of African feminists, of Muslim feminists, you know, they vary. This is a very complex point. I would like to address it properly in another episode. But to finish off the conversation for today, the fifth commentary that I have for today is in regards to are we reaching a 2.0 era of feminist foreign policy? And should we, you know, entertain the idea of changing the F word for fairness or another word that sounds prettier than feminism? In regards to this, I have to say that I consider very good that countries such as Germany and India are doing um, different consultations with civil society actors and organizations and think tanks and universities prior to the launch of a feminist foreign policy model. I do consider that extremely positive um, because as we have seen in the past, um, the launch of feminist foreign policy models have been, you know, like a surprise. Hi, uh, we are launching a feminist foreign policy model. Great. Um, Now we joined the club, you know, like it it was taking um, people by surprise. And now, you know, the efforts that the German government and the uh, Indian um, civil society actors, um, we have interviewed before the Kuber 9 initiative. Um, they are among the organizations that are creating the environment and enabling the spaces for conversations of what a feminist foreign policy model could look like for India and the challenges that it could address. I find that extremely positive. Australia as well um, is experiencing that too. We have interviewed before for this podcast personnel from the International Women's Development Agency and their recent reports on the launch of feminist foreign policy models and what it takes to actually, you know, have a good model proposal and not only having the model, but also, you know, having it being good implemented and well received by different types of actors and um, I invite you to check that interview with Alice and um, I think that you will enjoy it very much because it goes very um, deep not only on what we have seen so far in the timeline of FFPs but also the case particular of Australia and First Nations proposals for a future feminist foreign policy in Australia. So I find that incredibly inspiring out of what we have seen in Germany, India and Australia. And um, in regards to the use of the word fairness, I wonder what is fair? Is fair or fairness a relative term? Who gets to talk about fairness? Those that have power, 
those that do not have power, those that are disadvantaged by neoliberal economic policies or by, you know, feminist um, stand views or standpoints of action or, you know, transnational movements or these international um, development agendas. Like, who decides what's fair? And I find it interesting because if we have not experienced in our lifetime or in our state the perception or the feeling or the concept of fairness, then how would we know how to produce it or replicate it? In the article, Feminist Foreign Policy Needs an Upgrade from Abdul Rahman and Bump, they address the interchangeable term of fairness and inclusion. A fair foreign policy is the same or can be interchangeable with the concept of an inclusive foreign policy. My first impression from reading that proposal is that those terms are not interchangeable and you can include people but not necessarily being fair to them, you know. You can have them as quotas or listen to them but not necessarily take them in consideration yes you include them on a report yes you publish their stories or yes you give them funding but is it an equal way or do they feel actually included you know like what is the measurement for inclusion do we have a measurement for inclusion or is inclusion like fairness if we have not experienced being included in our own family units or communities or countries being considered being part of something how is that inclusive foreign policy of another country that is not your own help you feel included okay um we can talk in spiritual terms, perhaps, you know, like we are all connected, we are all one. Or we can talk domestically, you know, like, oh, all the actors from a country are included in the formation of an inclusive foreign policy of that specific country. Yes, that could be the way to go. But this foreign policy, you know, is exported abroad, you know, is used for as a guideline for the state to behave and act accordingly with other states that perhaps do not agree on the same values and on the same um, ways of thinking as you. And how are you going to measure that those states feel included? Or are you going to only relate to those that are fair and inclusive according to your own perception of what it should be. I don't know. But it, it brings noise <laughs> to my head. <laughs> I'm like, what is this concept? Um, let me know your thoughts. I'm going to leave it here. I'm going to leave as a bonus 
this topic of the oversimplification of militaristic versus feminist or weapons versus peace into false binaries that Abdul Rahman and Bomb brought to the table, I find it incredibly intriguing. And I think it, it could be a good topic for a next episode. Remember to subscribe to our Instagram as well as our Telegram and Twitter accounts. We are also on LinkedIn and we are currently in Patreon. You can help support our media platform grow and join our community there. I'm going to leave down below on the description box the links. And yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. Talk to you soon.